We uh, have such an amazing privilege today uh, of in just a moment, uh, Pastor Alex Che is gonna come up and he's gonna share with us today. He and his wife Debbie are pastors over in Billings and um, they play a role in our church. Uh, for those of you who maybe are unfamiliar, uh, we've got a, a couple different levels of authority and of structure and accountability. And one of those layers is the overseers. And uh, we've got a board of overseers, which Alex is on. And uh, the overseers day to day, they are a place uh, where me and the staff can go to for encouragement, for wisdom, for counsel, and uh, often are communicating, hey, what, how would you handle this? What are your ideas here? And uh, beyond just their wisdom and advice, they're also a layer of accountability. Um, in the most blunt way, it's the board of overseers that can fire me. Uh, they, they, uh, they, they've got, if there's ever any questions on theology or morality uh, or finances, or if there's any question on, on any type of leadership, uh, that when they are approached by our elders, they have complete authority of what discipline looks like or even removal. And so they are, they're a place of authority for me, a place of accountability for me, a place of protection for the church, for the body. And uh, so we're really grateful for our overseers. Beyond the role of overseer, um, outside of the hand of God, the hand of Alex Che has been the most influential in the reason that Anchor Church was ever planted, that exists. Um, he has been the champion uh, in so many ways of encouragement, of counsel, of wisdom. Uh, when we weren't sure if we could do this, he told us you got to do it. Uh, and uh, he's planted three churches and has been an incredible source uh, for us. And so uh, even if you have never met Pastor Alex, Every single one of us has benefited greatly from him and his wife, Debbie. Um, Alex, thank you so much for your friendship, for your support. And uh, would you, Anchor Church, please stand to your feet and welcome and honor Pastor Alex. Well, <clears throat> so proud of Kyle and Danny and the leadership team and all of you, and congratulations on year two. I guess this is officially year three. And uh, th there are so many reasons why this church is important to me. I have long roots here in Missoula, but I just want you to know that um, I'm so proud of you, so thankful for you, and I hope this message that I share with you today at year two, year three, will also be important in year 20. And so we're going to jump right into it. So I want to talk to you about returning to our first love, returning to our first love. By the way, I just uh, would like to mention that there are people in this room that were part of our church plant in Missoula in 1999. And whether they're serving on the board or the tech team, it's great to have you from those days here serving at Anchor Church. Also have family members here. A lot of family is here in Missoula and so thankful for that. I would just be curious because when we started the church in 1999, we had a lot of college students and every once in a while I get a message from one of them that that was a very important time in their lives. How many college students might we have in the room here today? Go ahead and lift your hand. Wonderful to see you. We're proud of you for making time to do this. And your parents may be proud of you too. <laughs> Do you remember your first crush? I remember mine. I'm in elementary school. It was the little red-haired girl. Just kind of like a Curry and Charlie Brown, if you can picture that. Charlie Brown had the little red-haired girl, and I too had my first crush, the little red-haired girl. 
But you move on from those childhood crushes and you mature and you grow. I moved on to Marsha Brady. <laughs> if anybody in this room does not know who Marsha Brady is, I'll tell you she was groovy. <laughs> then I remember my first car. It wasn't the classic 1960s Mustang. It was the mediocre Mustangs of the 1970s. But my 1978 Mustang too. I loved that car. It wasn't a great car, but I still loved it. How many of you remember those Mustangs in this room? Anybody here? All right, well, great. But my first real love, my soulmate, the one that I have been married to for over 36 years that I met, uh, while doing missions in the Philippines, and she was from western Montana. It was Debbie Burgess, and this is what she looked like when I first met her. <laughs> oh, I guess she does kind of look like Marsha Brady. <laughs> and then having my first car allowed me to pick my first church. Previous to that, I went to whatever church mom and dad went to, but I got to pick my own church, and it was at Calvary Church in Torrance, California, that I made my first real commitment to Christ. That decision has impacted the entire trajectory of my life. I ended up at Calvary Church in Torrance, California because a high school buddy invited me to his church. That was life-changing. Never underestimate, underestimate the power of an invitation to come to church and to hear the gospel. So keep inviting your friends to anchor church. Now, some firsts are going to go away. I'm over Marsha Brady long time ago. I'm not over my wife. She's still amazing. She's not here with us today. And we have to move on from childhood crushes and infantile indulgences. But what about those relationships that are really important that define our lives, our marriages, our friendships, our family, our church relationships, and of course, our relationship with Christ. So here's the question I want us to consider today in talking about returning to our first love. By the way, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Revelation chapter 2. You can look on the screen. If you have your smartphones and you're really looking at Bible software, you can use your smartphones today. And we're going to look at Revelation chapter 2. But I want to ask this question. How do the relationships that are the closest in our lives become distant or even non-existent at some point? How does that intimate, close relationship over time seem to drift into a distant relationship or even possibly a relationship that was close but is no longer existent. We're going to read the first letter to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the letter to the church in Ephesus. And I thought before we read Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 that a little bit of context about what it might have been like to live in Ephesus would help. And so just let me read to you some paragraphs about life in Ephesus and ask yourself this question. Was life really that different in Ephesus than Missoula, Montana, or any other time? Ephesus was a crossroads of civilization. It was an influential city. 
And what happened in Ephesus would probably influence other cities in the area or even the Roman Empire. Politically, it had become the de facto capital of the Asian province of the ancient Roman Empire. And it was known as the supreme metropolis of Asia. It had all these trade routes coming in, so it was very wealthy. Somebody called it the Vanity Fair of the ancient world. Religiously, if you might recall, in the book of Acts, there is the worship of the goddess Artemis or Diana, and you can find that in Acts chapter 19. The temple of the statue of Artemis or Diana was one of the great wonders of the ancient world. Thousands and thousands of priests and priestesses were involved in the temple of Artemis. And many of the priestesses that were serving the temple were involved with what we call religious prostitution. To what extent the temple phenomena contributed to the general moral deterioration of the population, we don't know. But one of Ephesus' own, he was called the weeping philosopher Heraclitus. Listen to what he says about his own citizens. Heraclitus says of the inhabitants of Ephesus, quote, this is really harsh, but this is how he felt. They were fit only to be drowned, and that the reason why he could never laugh or smile was because he lived among such terrible uncleanness. While the weeping Heraclitus wanted his fellow citizens drowned, Jesus wanted them saved. And that's why the church was started in Ephesus. So in Ephesus, you have words of commendation and also a word of correction. And today I want to talk about why we need to return to our first love. So ready? Read together with me. Not out loud, but uh, as I read, <laughs> you can follow along. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. This is a picture of the Christ of Revelation who holds the angels or the messengers of the seven churches who, and who walks among the seven churches, including Ephesus. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. That's a wonderful word of commendation to the church in Ephesus. Verse four, but I have this against you that you have left, what does it say, your first love. You have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do, ha yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Don't have time to unpack all that in today's message, but it had a lot to do with idolatry and immorality. Verse 7, ends with a promise. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. These words were originally written to ancient historical churches in the first century. But the same Holy Spirit that inspired those words 
is the same Holy Spirit that's here today to illuminate those words. So not only did these words speak to the ancient churches in Ephesus, it speaks to us today right here at Anchor Church. That is amazing that this ancient document is breathed by God, inspired by God, so it can speak to us, to us, but also individually right where we're at. And one of the things that's encouraging is that Jesus knew what was going on in the church. There were words of encouragement and commendation, but he loved the church so much there were words of correction. So what was the word of commendation? Doctrinal purity. They kept sound doctrine even in the midst of a culture that was so corrupt. And yet, in keeping sound doctrine, somehow they had lost that deep devotion to the Lord. And Jesus is saying, good job in keeping the doctrine, the teaching passed on from Jesus and the apostles that we hold true today. But remember that there is a deep devotion that is also important in following Christ. Sound doctrine is not enough. We also need deep devotion to the Lord. So they weren't quitters. And I have to tell you, in the church world, one of the most difficult things to do is to start a church. And uh, we've walked Danny and Kyle and the team through starting this church. We've had the privilege of starting three churches. And I always say, uh, it, it's not for the faint of heart. It's easy to quit when you start a church because there's so many obstacles. And so there is something of perseverance and endurance that is absolutely necessary if you're going to start a church. But that endurance is also necessary if we're going to stay faithful to the Lord over a lifetime. So something happened in Ephesus. They were really good about their doctrine but they had fallen from a place of deep love for the Lord in, kind, in a relatively short time. And Jesus is saying, return to your first love. So verse 4 and 5 is what I want to focus on today. Let me read that again. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Three words. Remember, repent, return. Sometimes we just need to stop and remember. If you think about the Old Testament, one of the, the key words is remember what God has done for you. And Moses would say to the people of God, remember the Lord who delivered you from slavery in Egypt. And isn't it important for us to just stop and remember how Jesus has delivered us from sin and darkness and the things that we could not set ourselves free from? Isn't it important for us, like the children of Israel, to remember how God has provided for us, sometimes miraculously, through all the ups and downs of the economy? And isn't it important for us to remember, like Moses reminded the uh, children of Israel as they were going into the promised land, remember that it is the Lord who gives you the power to make wealth. 
So we need to remember that it is God who delivers us from our sin and darkness. It is God who provides for us. And it is God who gives us the ability to make a living so we can take care of ourselves and our family. We just need to remember. And then the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And the college students that are here in this room, if you will put Christ first in your life, you will never regret it. And so once again, good job, uh, those of you that fit in that young category for making time to be here, to worship, to follow Jesus, really proud of you. The second word is repent. Now I have to tell you, repent is not a popular word in popular culture because it sounds like condemnation, right? Repent, you sinners. But I want you to think about this. Repentance is God telling us there is something wrong, but then he tells us how we can get right. It's not just condemnation as in repent because you're messing up, but God has something better for us. So he gives us a way to change our very direction of life. Repentance is actually good news because it gives us a way to change the direction of our life that's going in a way that we don't want to go, that we can't help on our own. And it allows us to change that direction in a way that we want to go and that the Lord wants us to go in. And here's the beautiful thing about repentance. It is never the Lord that moves away from us. It's always us that moves away from the Lord. But here's the good news about repentance. No matter how many steps we've taken away from the Lord, even if we're heading in the wrong direction and we've been heading in the wrong direction for a long time, it takes one step to get back in the right direction. And that's the good news about repentance. And so what Jesus is saying is, turn from the direction you've been going because it's not where I want you to end up. Repent simply means I want a new direction in life and I agree with the Lord. I want a new heart. I want to treat people differently. I want to treat the Lord differently. Confession, repentance, humility. I'm going to toss that water bottle before I biff it on the stage. So remember, repent, return. So what does it look like to return to our first deeds? All right, so I'm having some moments of nostalgia, as you can tell. Marsha Brady and Mustangs and all of that. Uh, I have here uh, a little sermon illustration that I'll share with you in a moment. But uh, this concordance is, anybody know what a concordance is these days? Anyhow, this concordance is the actual book I had when I was in high school, when I was studying the scriptures. So that first church, Calvary Church in Torrance, California, and my first commitment to Christ and the worship and discipleship and teaching and missions, all of that, it changed my life. And so when I think back to my first love in terms of a first church and my first commitment to Christ, I go back to the 1970s because it was at that church with those people that my life changed forever. I came to Christ late in high school and it was there at that church I was discipled. And I have to tell you, back in those days, the technology was terrible. Not impressive at all. Okay, how many of you, t take a little bit of a nostalgia trip with me. We all have smartphones that are so amazing, but how many of you remember the telephone, the rotary dial telephone? 
Okay, for those of you that have no idea what that is, you can go visit a museum. But this is what it was like to make a phone call. Pick up the rotary phone. You like the smaller numbers. But number nine, long cord. If you want privacy, you go in the you know, closet, that kind of thing. Anyhow, back then, what I remember is that when I first came to Christ, I had such a love for God's word, I couldn't get enough. And I used this concordance, which has every word in the Bible that you could want to look up. And we studied God's word for hours and hours and hours. I also remember as a new Christian walking into the worship center, <laughs> none of this great technology that we have today. The songs back then were kind of mediocre. We had a piano and we got really radical and brought in an acoustic guitar, right? But I remember a sense of awe and wonder of being in that place. So then the question is, do we want to go back to romantic notions of the 1970s? Because not everything in the 1970s was all that great. Uh, we had double-digit interest rates that went about 18 or 19%. Does anybody remember that? That was scary. Uh, Ford Pintos, not a worst car ever. Leg warmers, I'm going to move on. So here's the question. What does it mean to return to our first deeds? Bible scholars say it either means a return to a deep devotion to Christ that the Ephesian church had drifted away from, or it means a deep devotion to others in the church, other believers. And so the question is, is it a first love for Christ, or is it a first love for the church, the body of Christ? I happen to think it's both. I think that our love for Christ and our love for the body of Christ are very well connected. I, I just think that loving Christ and loving the church, they go hand in hand. But the other question is this. Is it the first deeds in terms of what I used to do back in the 1970s in terms of time, or is it in terms of priority? What, what does it mean to return to our first deeds and our first love? I do believe that returning to our first love is returning to our love for Christ and our love for each other. I think it's a both and. But what are the first deeds? What are the things that we should return to? I want to go back to the question at the very beginning. What happens to a close relationship over time? Well, you have life, <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. You have problems. You have work and bills, you have conflict, you have unmet expectations, you have taking each other for granted, there's pride, there's sickness, on and on. There's a lot that just happens in life. But the Bible also says there's an enemy that seeks to deceive us and to cause us to pursue something in life other than Christ and to get us to think that that is what life is all about. And yet... It is a relationship with Christ, and it is a deep relationship with others that life is all about. In the letters to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, in each of the churches, when a church is not doing well, 
and there is a word of correction, it's always based on an inner betrayal to Christ. Something that's happening in the heart where they have either drifted from a close relationship with Christ or they have been deceived by the popular culture of Ephesus. So we have life that happens to us, all the good and the bad. So that makes relationships at times difficult to maintain. We have the enemy working against us to deceive us and to distract us. And then we have us. <laughs> it's called sin. And we, we just have this natural tendency to go off track. I, I love that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's just part of our sin nature that it's easier to drift from the Lord than it is to pursue the Lord. So we have to be very intentional. So the question today is this. Where have I drifted into either apathy or self-deception? Where have I drifted into apathy and just in terms of taking the Lord for granted, taking the church for granted, taking our spouse for granted, taking our family members for granted, taking our friends for granted. It's so easy to take each other for granted, and it's actually easy to take the Lord for granted. And so we want to return to our first love. Self-deception, we're really good at that. And here's the problem with self-deception. We can't get out of self-deception by ourselves. That's a little bit like trying to do brain surgery on ourselves. And this is why healthy, close, accountable relationships in the body of Christ is so important. Because all of us drift into some form of non-reality. We think we're doing well in certain areas, but we're not. And while that may seem like a bad thing to have that pointed out by the Lord or others, it's actually a good thing because we really want to know how we're really doing, not just how we think we're doing. And so we need the Lord to point out areas of our lives that we need to repent, remember, and return. And we need those that love us enough and have enough commitment to us and courage to say, this is an area of your life that I think you're just drifting and we want you to come back to him. Well, I want to share just a few scriptures and talk a little bit about weddings. So I am not the wedding guy. I do a wedding maybe once a year. And in the last 12 months, I've done four weddings and by the way, it was at a wedding, one of the many Jones wedding, where I met Kyle and Danny, which, uh, so Kevin and Cassie Jones were with us in our church plant in Missoula, and as you know, they have lots of daughters, and the daughters, they started getting married one by one, and so attend Jones wedding number one, attend Jones wedding number two, Ten Jones wedding number three. And by that time, I'm thinking, you know, out of the five, there's, there's a chance I might do Jones wedding number four. And I did. And here they are, Hayden and Libby. So I got to do their wedding. And uh, great joy. My son's been engaged to a lovely Filipina uh, woman. And I got to do my son's wedding this March, which was really amazing. And, and I have to tell you, it Doing weddings is one of my favorite things as a pastor. It's so wonderful. But, I, but in all the weddings I've done, I've never met a couple that said, Pastor Alex, 
The reason we're getting married is because we want to argue about money. I've never met a single couple that got married to argue about money. Well, you get married. Have you ever argued about money? Do not raise your hand. So over the years in marriage teaching, I've heard that the key to a good marriage is communication and conflict resolution. Has anyone ever heard that? That those are some important things for marriage. So for those of you that are married, I want you to ask yourself, is that true? Is good communication and conflict resolution, is that important to a good marriage? And for those of you that are not yet married and want to be married, ask yourself, what, what makes for a good marriage? So ponder that for just a minute. So most of my life, I used to think that a good marriage was made up of good communication, that's important, and good conflict resolution. I have another thought today. I think the best marriages are made up of people who are really close friends. Because it is the friendship that will help you weather the conflict, and it is the friendship that will help weather the bad communication that happens in marriage. So what about in terms of our relationship with Christ? If that is true in a marriage in our closest relationships, is it possible that this thing called the Christian faith and the church can become about something other than a deep devotion to Christ? Because if that happens, we need to return to what it means to be a follower of Christ. First and foremost, if I would just leave one thing with you today and tomorrow, year 10, year 20, it's a deep friendship with Christ. It is a deep devotion to Christ. It is the worship and love of Christ that is what will sustain us through all the ups and downs of life and changes in our country and culture. I want to close with a couple of scriptures that speak to the heart of this. It's in Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. I'll read first in the New American Standard. So I've been reading the same translation since I've been in high school. Uh, if you want to do the math, that was over 40 years ago. So I've always uh, just used this as my study Bible. But then I like to take another translation that maybe is not so word for word and has a little bit of idea for idea. So I want to read to you first Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, and then also uh, from the New Living Translation, which gives a little bit of a, um, a feel to it. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown. You know what encourages me about this passage of Scripture? If you read the Old Testament and how the children of Israel made mistake after mistake after mistake, you would think they just were always just um, terrible, <laughs> right? But in spite of their mistakes, God remembers a time when they were deeply devoted to him and he's calling them back to that deep devotion in spite of their drifting their deception their rebellion just calling them back to that simple devotion to him and then the new living translation says this i remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago 
how you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. So here it is. If you remember one thing today out of everything I've said, nothing can replace a personal devotion to the Lord. Nothing can replace a personal devotion to the Lord. Keep following Jesus. Keep loving him. Keep obeying him. Keep listening to his words. Love him with all your heart. Love each other with all your heart. Because I will tell you over time, whether in a marriage, a friendship, or a church, there will be conflict. There will be unmet expectations. There will be bad communication. And the thing that will hold us together is deep devotion, deep friendship, and that deep commitment. Well, you're in year two, three-ish now of Anchor Church. And I want you to know that I will do everything I can to encourage your pastor and his wife and the leadership team, uh, praying for some good things in your future, the things that really matter to you as a church, which we're very aware of having planted two churches with uh, buildings and setup and takedown and all of that. So I'm, I'm going to stand with you and believe that God will provide what you need in the coming days. So we're approaching year, I believe, 12 at our church plant in Billings, Montana. We named the church Word of Life, which comes from 1 John, because we wanted to remember at year 1, year 2, year 11, year 12, that whatever else this thing becomes, that church is always about Jesus. Nothing can replace a personal devotion to Christ. So I think the worship team is coming back. And I, this would be a wonderful time for us, just in our own hearts, to return to the Lord, to come back to Him. If you feel like you've drifted in your relationship with the Lord, this is a great time to just make that decision. I'm turning to Him. Those of you that are married, maybe you're feeling like, I've kind of drifted in my relationship with my spouse. This would be a good time to return to that deep friendship that is part of why you got married in the first place. Maybe you've had things happen in church and it's been painful or difficult. I think this would also be a good time to return to your first love for the body of Christ because Jesus loves the church and so we ought to love the church as well. So let's worship Jesus and give him our hearts this morning.